Hey guys, this is Kendra. This is Jessica. And you're listening to Lucid Lab. We are here again. We're um, back. Yay, yay. We're going to come back a lot when you stop saying that. I so. know. We got to think of a new <laughs> thing to say. <laughs> We're excited to be back for this one. I wanted to do this topic for a while. It's been done a lot, but oh, yeah. I really did want to do my own take on it. But now that I did it, now I'm just like in a space. Oh. I'm in a head space. <laughs> I can understand. So let's talk a little bit before we get into it. Anything exciting for you since I've seen you last? Let me think. So we did get to go to downtown Denver after we recorded last Friday. Oh, yeah. Which I, was pretty fun. Yeah, I wanted to talk about some that. some pictures. Yeah. I only have a couple. I thought I took more than I took. They're just in my head, apparently. <laughs> I took some, but they didn't turn out great. Oh, you were supposed to take them one of me drawing yeah, and there's a glare on it oh darn. i'll show it to you later it was but so pretty i know oh, well. yeah cool anyways Not. yeah we got to go down uh there's a part of denver called the santa fe arts district and they had a first friday and yep. that's where all the art galleries are and jewelry shops mm-hmm. and there was something called earring palooza which is dangerous for me because Earrings are my favorite thing ever, but I was good. I didn't buy anything except food from the food trucks. There was a lot of like apothecary type shops and tarot readers and podcasts and just really, really neat stuff. We met a lot of like-minded people, I think. Yes. Or I did. She had a bit of a headache. Yeah. It kind of brought me down. I wasn't as much fun. I think I had been, we'd been recording for hours and I don't think I'd slept well the night before. So I was just, and I was just like fast miss. You were like ready to have some fun. Miss networking. I was yes. like networking for she everyone. Was and, and she was trying to pull me in. And I'm like, I don't want to talk to anyone. At one point, Kendra's like, let's go. Let's, let's go. just go home. And I had to take her aside. I'm like, Kendra, I was literally talking to someone about the podcast. Can you yeah, chill? I got to get into a better headspace. But yeah, we got to do that. And that was cool. Maybe, and maybe those two girls will find us again eventually. Maybe. They're really cool. Yeah. One was Australian. And the other one was, she said she was from here, but she sounded British to me. And so it was just a really cool conversation with their accents and everything and then you're like tugging on me and I'm just like let's, let's go. I gotta go and I'm like I'm not having a drunken conversation here Kendra I'm actually <laughs> you're like talking I'm working to people I'm working stuff. bitch get out of the way yeah I it was, it was not though. as much fun but we should check it out again we should sometime I had a good time yes I did and then let's see what else I didn't have a whole lot of other things going on this week. I did have a scary moment where oh. I, I thought I lost the cat. Oh, no, your new kitty. <laughs> My new kitty went Toffee. missing. Yeah, Toffee. <laughs> she went missing in the house for like 30 minutes. And I guess anyone with a cat, you know, I've never really had a cat before, probably is used to this. But I yeah, the whole day she just disappeared sometimes. and I didn't know where she was. And I was like, if I lose this cat, like my kid will never forgive me. Oh, and no. I could hear her making oh. noises, but I had no no clue where she was was so she's usually down in the basement I looked in all her little hidey spots but she found a new hiding spot and that was like kind of tucked up underneath my bed oh but like like (laughs) yeah they like beds so I had looked everywhere for like 30 minutes I'm like she'll come out eventually when she's hungry and then I finally was like maybe she's under my bed I'd already looked two or three times but she had like tucked herself up in there and I just saw her little eyes glaring at me I don't allow any space for that so I have it to the floor I don't have any space under my bed 
bed because they will go under there and they will stay under there. And I think my mom's cat does this. Uh He does that whole like backwards climb. I think that's what she was doing under the thing. And he's just destroyed everything. Hopefully she's not doing that. So I was late coming here to record today because that's where my cat is again. And I could not get her out. So she's just staying as long as she doesn't pee. I'll be okay. Unfortunately, you're not going to know what she does down there until you actually go down there yourself or move Mm. it around. Might have to do some deep cleaning earlier than you wanted to <laughs> with, your, with your massive bed. <laughs> so yes, still learning how to be a good cat mom and, and figure that out. But that's, yeah, my only exciting stories for this week. You're doing good. You're <laughs> how good. about you? Hmm. Uh, well, I was driving a lot yesterday and mm-hmm. to me it was a really, just a weird day. It was an off day for me. A okay. good off day. Like, like I was in a, I was in a good like mental, I felt space. the energy. Yeah. It was good. I loved outside, but it was a weird day because we had a really warm day here mm-hmm. and it was like what it was like almost 80, 80. it was 80 yeah. something which did not work well with what I was looking at in the sky it did not okay. match up it was extremely warm but the entire sky was covered in storm-like clouds that never produced storm-like weather. Okay. And so I was just staring up the clouds while I was driving like the entire time. I was like, that's a weird cloud and that's a weird cloud and that's a weird cloud. And I don't know if I made this obvious in any of the other episodes, but I am obsessed with clouds. I'm super obsessed with them. Um, and you've taken like pictures of Yeah, clouds. I take a lot of pictures of clouds. And so the clouds were sticking out to me yesterday and then when I pick up my daughter we're driving back home and out of nowhere are these I should say one is this object in the sky in the the sky okay but low like it's really low Mm -hmm. and it's coming like directly at us we're driving north it's coming south and I was like what is that what is that my daughter catches on and she's like what is that because both of us recognize that's not something we've ever seen before right and right before our eyes one became two what like one object kind of split or split and became two and then within another couple seconds it became three And we're just sitting here watching this come at us slowly. It was going slow and it was not going in a straight line. It was kind of just, it's not even lights. It wasn't even like zigzagging. It had no lights. There wasn't really much to it, but there wasn't anything uniform about it. Mm -hmm. You know, your brain automatically goes, oh, those are jets or. Right. But it was just acting very odd to me Mm -hmm. and it was low and it just was not moving like I know. Like a plane. Aircrafts to move of any kind. And then we're at a complete stop. I open up my window because I'm going to take a picture. There's no noise coming from it whatsoever. Okay. And there's three of them. And I have pictures. <laughs> oh, so I'll have to show I you. I see these pictures. But uh, they're just, they're not great. But unless it's like a perfect picture, you're well, yeah. going to either get, oh, no, those are jets and or, oh, no, Birds. you made that up or it's, <laughs> you know, right. It's That's what everyone creation that you did. Well, think about like when you take a picture, uh, you try to take a picture of the moon or a planet that's like beautiful. It looks like just a looks dot like when shit. you take it. So it yeah. makes sense when you try to take something up in the sky. But even the pictures that I do have, they're not uniform. If they're the exact same aircraft, they should look the same. Mm-hmm. The three of them in a line and they're not. And so me and my daughter were just like what did we just look oh, at I think those were aliens <laughs> <laughs> I think they were aliens because that was the first real experience I've had where yeah. I'm looking at something and I'm like that goes against everything that I've witnessed and mm-hmm. seen um and then I took her on a walk it was like just before the sun was about to go down 
but it got dark while we were at the park. So I'm taking her back and we're walking and all of a sudden there's this noise and I literally grab my daughter's entire body and I <laughs> stop her in mid place because the noise scared the shit out of us, what both kind of, of us. And it wasn't any noise that I've heard. It wasn't a dog. It wasn't, wasn't a person. An it wasn't a machine. It wasn't anything I've heard. And it was, I can't, I don't even know if I can recreate it, but it was like this and it radiated in the air and I couldn't tell where it was coming from. And it wasn't like massively loud, but it lasted maybe like 10 seconds, but it was enough to stop us in our tracks because it's not a normal noise that you fucking hear. And we didn't hear it again. And it actually scared my daughter. Usually she doesn't even want me to hold her hand anymore because she's she's getting to that age. Big girl now. Yeah. Like you're hurting my feelings. She's like, I don't (laughs) want to. It's sweaty. (laughs) 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 She comes up with all these excuses now, but she wouldn't let me go until we got home. And it was just a weird, weird day. Day. Something was tracking you i mean i feel special but don't be so vague about it like come closer (laughs) i can't wait until we get to do an episode around ufos and abductions i actually have one planned in the next couple we do need to do more yeah you know once you get into this researching bit though that's what makes things hard is to get the information that you want for certain topics yeah and because of my background you know i went to school for anthropology i'm all about i gotta fact check this shit and i gotta i I gotta get what i need and it's some of it's hard you know, and let me tell you, like in every single research that I've done so far, there has been something that I've had to fact check, like the one I'm doing oh, for yeah, next for sure. week. Yeah, they even had victims' names wrong. Yeah, like, they, uh, there's you a would lot be of stuff surprised. You'd, be, you'd find wrong. It's crazy. I've noticed that sometimes it takes me looking at like ten different sources just to verify because there's yes. one or two that says something different, and I'm like, I can't say that that one or two, you know, are the ones that are wrong or that are right. It is very interesting. I think you know. So when I was doing most of my research back in school, it was before the internet was really prolific. And I don't even think we were allowed to use the internet for research. So yeah, it was like cheating. And now it's like, that's the only way. Libraries, why? (laughs) So yeah, this is my first experience, I think, doing like deep research type projects using just the internet. I like it. I was the type of college student where I had fun while I did stuff. I used to play pool. Right. Pretty hardcore. But I was in leagues and I just played pool a lot. And so I would have like this paper due and I didn't really care. Like I am. How do I say this? Procrastinator? No, 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 no. My brain just works a little bit differently. And so I will research a lot, but I feel like I don't need as much as other people do. A lot of people write a story. Yeah. Yeah. Write a story. I don't think it works the same way anymore, (laughs) but I have almost I used to have an almost photographic type of memory. Yeah. So once I learned something, I would leave and I would go play pool. And while I was playing pool and getting drunk at the same time, I would write my paper in your head. No, I like literally had sheets of paper like on the bar table. So you like go over and I would just scribble some kind of note that I had in my head and then I'd get home, type it up real quick. I'd turn in the next day and I've never gotten anything less than 100%. (laughs) I think we're similar in that way because I never spent as much time researching either. And even on these episodes, sometimes I feel like I end up cramming it. I am the procrastinator. I'm doing it like the last second. Um, Like I'll read all the books and everything like that. But to actually sit down and put it on paper, I think it takes me a couple of days. Like I like to think about how I want to put it down. exactly, And then I just type it all out in like one big setting in like an hour. I think you can't just go and start typing because you never know the information that is 
one, like important to say, right. You kind of have to make that decision along your researching journey. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, this great. It's good to know this, but it doesn't really hold a place in this story. Sometimes you add those pieces just to fluff it up a little bit, give a little bit more character. We're still learning this. This is fun. It's interesting that we're talking about this right now because all of these things kind of play into the topic I'm going to be discussing. Oh, really? They do. I, I hit a lot of snags along the way with this one just because it's just different. I, I think I, I don't know, I just came up against a lot of blocks and in, in how to put this together. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of people have covered this. Like, honestly, it is everywhere. Really? I have it's not everywhere. listened to one. But what I found really quickly is that it is a lot of regurgitated information because mm-hmm. the whole world, I don't know, found like 20, 30 facts about this place and just ran with it and, and just, just said it repeating over and it. over yeah. and over again. And it's not like I'm not going to do the same here because I only have so much information right but I'm trying to do it a little differently I really wanted to cover this place so I you know I hope you enjoy it but it's a sensitive topic I'm going to be talking about a lot of sensitive things researching this topic to be honest it turned into more than I expected it to so right off the bat this is a warning use your discretion whether or not you decide to stay and listen if you do not want to listen to this episode we completely understand we will be discussing suicide but, you know, I think it's very important to discuss. Yes. You know, it's close to me. It's close to a lot of people, family and friends. And yeah, I think it's close to a lot of people. And the problem is, is that we don't talk about it enough. So if you or anyone you know is suffering from suicidal thoughts, you are most definitely not alone. No. Just be kind. You never know what someone's going through. And if you need help right now, here in America, you can call 988 or 1-800-273-8255 or your local crisis hotline. If you're in another country, please Google your local numbers. Make yourself better. You're worth it. Yes. And there are people to help you through it. Yeah. Make a friend or a stranger feel better. Just listen. Be kind. Help your fellow human being. Sometimes just a little bit is all it takes to turn someone around. So... Today I am talking about the Aokikahara Forest, more widely known as the Suicide Forest in Japan. The Aokigahara Forest is located on the northwestern slope and base of Mount Fuji on the island of Honshu in Japan, which is about 60 miles or 100 kilometers west of Tokyo. Mount Fuji is Japan's highest mountain. It is a stratovolcano that has been dormant since its last eruption in December of 1707, but it is considered to be active. It is holy to the Japanese, and the Aokigahara Forest, which translates, or so I found, to Blue Tree Meadow, grew over the hardened lava from the last major eruption in 864. The forest floor mostly consists of porous volcanic rock that absorbs sound, Compasses, GPS, and mobile phones sometimes do not work due to high iron content within the solidified lava of the forest floor. Many try to use this as an explanation of paranormal activity, but it is argued that there is actually no interference, that a lot of people who have tried to do this, and I haven't been there, so I can't say, uh, will put it like right next to the ground. And yes, like you may have some interference that way, but they argue that just stand at normal fucking height, dude. 
and everything will work just fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think that's just kind of played into the, oh, the spooky the forest and paranormal. the spirits don't want you to use your stuff and they're going to grab you. You're also in the middle of a forest. If you Seriously, go in the middle of a forest I mean, in Colorado, my cell phone's not picking I'm shit up. I'm driving around here and I get nothing. Yeah. My own neighborhood. I was walking and trying to talk to Jessica yesterday and it kept going out in my neighborhood. But they are <laughs> saying stuff like compasses and stuff, which oh, is well, in, that's, a, that which is in technology. But it's, you know, it's the magnetic magnetic stuff from the yeah that's not that's not spiritual though it is a very eerie beautiful forest i've seen a lot of pictures and it's really really beautiful it's neat and moss covered yeah it's cool and humid it is filled with a variety of conifers broadleaf trees shrubs mosses and lichen 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 i don't know i'm not a scientist whichever way you prefer the roots of the trees create this insane scene. That's part of the ambiance of this place because the roots can't go down too far into the rock. They sprawl out and up and intertwine with other trees' roots and other plants. So it's really quite something. It's very difficult to walk through. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah. The trees are 100 to 300 years old. They tower high above and they've grown so close together that halfway up Mount Fuji looking down on the forest, it looks like an ocean of green because they're also swaying in the wind. Mm -hmm. And that's how it earned its other name, Jukai, the Sea of Trees. And because the trees have grown so closely together, visitors spend much of their time in semi-darkness. And every so now and then you might get a stream of light that comes through the gaps in the treetops. And it's been said that even if it's raining, you actually rarely you wouldn't need know. an umbrella. I like it, it might trickle, you know. Sounds beautiful the it way that you're describing beautiful. it. I want to see some pictures. It's like kind of like a fantasy the way you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about it. <laughs> doing it. <laughs> the forest is also home to a diverse range of other flora and fauna, including deer mink, bats, squirrels, foxes, rabbits, wild boars, birds, and the Asian black bear. The forest is said to be nearly silent. It's often described incorrectly as having no animals because of the silence, but the silence is actually because of the bedrock floor. So just because you're not, it does, it absorbs the noise. And just because you don't see any animals, in fact, I've watched many videos and because the video is right with that person who's videotaping you hear Mm -hmm. the birds tweeting tweeting away but the point is is like in not too far of a distance you may not hear whatever is happening in that area and they say if you yell like someone might not hear you which is part of the scary part of getting lost there yeah nobody would ever find you visitors are strongly encouraged to stay on the trails there are some 200 caves in the forest alone there are hiking trails that connect to three major lava caves the Narusawa Ice Cave, the Fugaku Wind Cave, and the West Lake or Lake Seiko Bat Cave. The caves are a major tourist attraction and popular field trip destination for many school children. All throughout the Aokikahara Forest are underground caves, mostly lava tube caves. As lava cools from the outside in, the outer layers of the lava harden and form a roof and tunnel for the remaining lava to flow through, and the resulting cavern is long like a tube or a snake. Mm-hmm. The Naru Sawa Ice Cave is located east of the Aokikahara Forest. It was formed around 1,150 years ago and was designated as a national monument in 1929 by the Ministry of Education. The surrounding forest was a giant lake prior to Mount Fuji's eruption. A dragon god was said to reside in the lake. 
this deity was worshipped in the area and still is. But it's very, very long. It forms a loop. Some of the sections have ceilings that are only three feet high, which requires you to crawl or crouch down to get through an area. This cave actually was historically used by locals during the Edo period as a natural refrigerator before such things existed, as it is covered in all ice all year long and averages a temperature of 37 degrees Fahrenheit or 3 degrees Celsius. There is a legend that says that the deepest part of the cave, referred to as the pits of hell, Mm. is so long that it connects to the Inoshima Island in Kanagawa Prefecture, but it is unsubstantiated, meaning I don't think anybody's actually tried to go that far. Because they don't want to go to the place called the pits of hell. Maybe. Probably not where I want a vacation. When do you decide that? You like get to a point and you're like, I see that it goes further, but I'm not going to go anymore. And I'm just going to guess that it probably goes all the way. All the way over there. (laughs) And I'm not going to try and say any of these Japanese names. I think you're doing a good job. I tried to look them all up, but coming and sitting down and like talking about them now you forget how hard they can be to pronounce to say and I'm trying I'm also not not trying to say it exactly the way that it's being said because that's not my language and right and we're gonna not gonna pretend to like yeah so I'm trying so the Fugakuwen cave is Narusawa's sister cave, also a natural refrigerator with the same temperature and ice throughout. The wind cave has some other cool features, though. Historically, the eggs of silkworms were kept there. Mm. It is 201 meters long. It has porous basalt walls, absorbing sound, just like the forest, so you can't create any audible echoes. Okay. The walls are covered in a type of luminescent moss called dragon's gold, which produces a greenish gold glow, filling the cave with illuminated ice and impressive stalactites and ice pillars all along its length. It gets its name from the air that actually circulates throughout the cave. So honestly, it sounds just like the one before, but this one's a little longer. But for some reason, the first one is more popular. Maybe it's easier to get to. I don't know. I would want to check that out. The last one is Lake Seiko Bat Cave, and it's the largest of the three caves. And it's roughly 386 meters long and is home to bats. Bats. It is different from the other two caves because it's not very cool in the summer and it is warm in the winter. Okay. But that's what bats like. Mm -hmm. They are endangered, but they are trying to help the population grow in that bat cave all i know is i want to go to the caves i've seen some pictures it's pretty cool sounds cool just the way you're describing it overall the forest i think is really beautiful and when we were talking our last episode of loving trees and plants and animals yes i think this forest needs some love does it yeah because but it also deserves some reverence because the way that it's talked about worldwide is just as suicide forest people just think of it as this oh this you know scary haunting place that makes people yeah but really the entire area is quite holy Mm -hmm. and i think that people need to go into it thinking that thinking positive thoughts yeah and, and thankful for the trees and it sounds like a very very unique type of forest. It's very unique. Like very, the like, roots are growing on top of the rock, like and intertwined. It's a massive, massive forest. Mm-hmm. But you know, as everybody knows, this forest does have a darker side to it, and what the world knows. And right. in being suicide forest, it is the second most popular destination in the world for suicide. Okay. The number one is Golden Gate Bridge. I was going to guess San Francisco. That. 
So I guess we'll talk about that for a moment. So the Golden Gate Bridge was opened May 27th, 1937. The importance of a safety net was realized right away, and it was installed to protect the men working on the bridge. Okay. 19 lives were saved because of that net, but sadly, 11 still died, 10 of whom died when a section of the scaffolding fell through the safety net, which, you know... I think we're going to connect back to your NDEs. Like yeah, you because people falling. falling. Yeah. Uh, the net was meant for workers back then. You know, I assume it was taken down. Yeah. We're going to get to what's happening to it now. Yeah, I went there probably about six years ago. Okay, so 10 weeks after it opened was when the first suicide happened. 10 weeks? Yeah, wow. but not long. As of a decade ago, roughly, approximately 1,400 to 1,600 people have committed suicide by jumping off of the bridge. 1,400 bodies were recovered. Sadly, that doesn't include what hasn't been found, so that right. you can only guesstimate. Um, at the time, the number was thought to exceed 1,600, including the jumps that were witnessed. However, their bodies were never recovered, which doesn't include those in which no one actually no saw, one saw them. them. They were there late at night. Yes. Yeah. So we can only speculate. Survivors are rare, but some have survived, and several I've found said that they immediately regretted, regretted their it. decision midair, like the moment their hands released oh from the That's- bars. I do remember when I visited the Golden Gate Bridge, there were signs everywhere that said, you know, if you're looking for help and they had the numbers for the suicide hotlines. And I do believe they had some kind of safety netting up or like um, maybe in certain areas. Yeah, the areas where most people would go. As with most people, if it's in their way, they'll find a way to figure it out. So as of 2013, 35 people have survived the jump since construction. It takes four seconds to fall and you hit the water going 75 miles per hour. Some do die instantly, but others survive with internal injuries and then sadly die from either hypothermia or they drown. Mm -hmm. Numbers are not released as they were before, so I'm not sure of the current count. But in 2013 alone, 118 people were talked down off the bridge from jumping. I wonder if they have counselors that just stay in the area. I don't know about that, but I'm sure it's just like if anybody sees somebody, then they're either standing there and they're trying to go themselves and then right. someone calls somebody and about 118 people. I mean, that's a third of the year. Yeah. Right. Sad. Like you said, there are special telephones on the bridge that will link someone directly with a crisis suicide hotline. But the biggest issue since it opened was the lack of a big net that would prevent the continuations of the suicides from the bridge. The biggest argument other than cost has been that it would take away from the look of the bridge. So the aesthetics. Yeah. Being that the bridge is a massive tourist destination, the most visited structure in California, and one of the most photographed destinations worldwide, they didn't want to change the look. And after years and years of pressure, support for Annette was finally approved in 2014 and was estimated to cost $46 million. Wow. More than it originally cost to build the bridge itself. Construction began in 2018 and is expected to be completed this year. So far, it has actually risen to $400 million. The steel web is still being installed underneath the bridge. So maybe what you saw I think was what, like a net for the workers. I think what I saw when I think about it is something that would prevent you from being able to climb up. Oh, kind it, of like a. Oh, I got you. Like what they put on. If you've been to the Empire State Building or you go into any high towers, they put the it's like a metal. None of them, honey. Mesh. I've never been 
anywhere. It's like a mesh, <laughs> I guess. Kind of like if you're jumping and trampoline. Yes. Okay. Something like that. So, but I mean, nothing is fail proof. You can go around to the edge of the bridge. Exactly. And, They're just going to find another way. The truth of the matter is you can jump off anywhere into the bay in San Francisco and you're probably going to die because the bay is just so like, yeah, the waves are so, I can't think of the word violent, I guess. Like people who tried to escape Alcatraz died because of that too. So, and the water's cold. I mean, the thing is, is with this, they can't say that it's not going to be as many because only really determined people are going to jump off the bridge right. to land on that steel net, which is still going to fucking it's hurt. going to maybe break Because something. I think it's like 20, yeah. 25 feet down. And then they'd have to then do it again. So I think the net is more of like a, here's your halfway moment, make a decision. And then, but sometimes that's all that's needed. Right. Is that moment. Well, and I've read the statistics too about suicide and how what's so sad is that those who try to commit suicide with something that's slower, such as, you know, pills or something like that, that you can recover from, they always regret it and want to be helped. But the the sad part is a lot of people will use a gun yeah, and you can't make a change of mind and or jumping off of a bridge. It's it's too late. If you change your mind, there's no no going back. So maybe this will yeah, give them will, the wake up will call be a that, deterrent. no, you know what? My thought I wanted is not what I want anymore. I, yeah. I want to be alive. So and unfortunately, the bridge is a place where they can go do that. Sure, they can do it in other places. But the point is, is that the bridge has become a hot spot for it and they yeah. need to do something about it. Yeah. But unfortunately, in, in the forest, you can't put a net no. under every tree or every branch. So suicide there will forever remain a concern. Yeah, you can't keep people from going to a forest that large. No, you can't. There's no way. There's nothing to do about that. Mm -hmm. The forest is the number one suicide destination for the Japanese. Most choose suicide by hanging, with prescription drug overdose being the second most popular choice. Authorities find over 100 bodies a year in the forest. Last reported in 2004. Some sources say 2003, but 108 bodies were found. That does not include those that were not found. So many more have disappeared under the trees because of their winding, like gnarled roots. Okay. And others have been carried away and consumed by animals. So you're never really going to know the true number. They are no longer releasing body count information in hopes to stop the encouragement of people going there. But in okay. 2010, police reported that 247 people were known to have attempted suicide within the forest and 54 of those were known to have actually completed with that original goal. Okay. The most popular month for suicide is March, which coincides with the end of Japan's fiscal year. Oh, and man. most suicides are men, 20 to 50 years old. The range is really kind of spread out everywhere that I've seen but to me that was the largest range so those of responsible age you know to work they feel that's a lot what of I pressure see. yeah locals say they can easily spot three types of visitors to the forest trekkers interested in scenic vistas of Mount Fuji in the forest the curious hoping for a glimpse of the macabre because they've heard the stories and then those who don't plan on leaving mm -hmm. or they've gone in there to contemplate it so I was watching this documentary with 
Azusa Hayano. Okay. Or I know him. Azusa Hayano. <laughs> I'm just going to call him Azusa. Azusa. A geologist who had lived in the area for over 30 years. And at the time, I think that was like a decade ago. So mm-hmm. this documentary, I think a lot of people pull from this. Okay. Because he's a good guy and it's not some like Western person coming in and trying to videotape things. So right. he said that the locals do not commit suicide there. I mean, I don't know if he can count on everybody yeah but he said they're told from an early age that you know it's a scary forest so they actually for the most part do not go to the Aokikahara forest because the locals okay so I'm assuming the people who live literally right Right around there not the the people who live in the metropolitan areas like Tokyo and stuff like that So I did find conflicting information on whether or not you're allowed to camp there. Maybe it depends on the season or not. Mm -hmm. Got to have a permit. Some of them said no. Some of them said it's like strictly, strictly forbidden. Others said, well, you can, but they're going to question you and they Mm -hmm. may come and talk to you on if you're maybe going to commit suicide. Because it's thought that if you are bringing a tent that you're there to contemplate it. So it's not your normal forest. It's not like, oh, I might come across someone because they just want to camp here. Right. Usually there are ulterior motives to being in the forest. Um, If you show up to the parking lot, you may find one or more cars that seem to be abandoned. Like they've been there a while because their owner went in and never came Never came back. And eventually those cars end up leaving and getting towed away. But that's kind of sad. It's really sad. (laughs) Because you can tell just with nature that, you know, leaves are going to fall. Things are going to be on cars that have been there a while. Right. So even if I were to drive up, I think just seeing a car that seems to have been left there for a while. That's a really sobering scene. It is. And then you have to then walk into the forest and attempt to enjoy it. Yeah, it already puts you in it. Yeah, you wonder, like, even the tourists that are wanting to go and visit, is it because they know it's a beautiful forest or is everyone going there because... It's called the suicide forest. I mean that. And we're all drawn to that darkness. I am drawn to the place for both. I mean, because if it was just like a regular looking forest like we have here, like I'm not going to go. I mean, I want to go just listening about the caves and I love bats and and seeing the trees. I mean, I may go if there's like a specific story or something, but I'm not going to fly to Japan for a forest like ours. The reason why I'm also interested in it is because it's unlike anything I've seen in person. Right. And they do have all these caves. And it's not the base of a volcano, which I also have not been around. No, I haven't either. (laughs) That is the interest for me. So during the video, Azusa came across a man in a tent who was alive. He approached him and told him that he is not allowed to camp there and that he was on suicide patrol. The man's tent was pitched in the middle of the trail. He asked how long the man was planning to stay and he said until tomorrow. The man was scared at first, but the more that they talked, he gained back some spirit, which he said is often the case if he comes across someone who seems to be suicidal in the forest. Yeah. They just need someone to recognize them. They need someone to talk to. Yeah. And he was kind. He tried to help, but he didn't seem like someone who was there to hike. He was not dressed for that. And so he did leave worried. He didn't want to push too much, but he left worried. Throughout the forest, you'll find plastic tape or rope tied to trees. Volunteers do sometimes use this method to look for bodies so that they are not getting lost themselves, but most are attributed to the individuals who go into the forest contemplating suicide, so they're not sure. 
the tape or rope marks the path that they've taken and is thought to be from the people who are going there to commit suicide but aren't 100% sure just in case they change their mind. Asuza said, typically you just need to follow the tape and at the end of it, you'll either find a body or evidence that someone was there. And left. Lots of personal remains are strewn about the forest, tents, shoes, phones, other belongings. Along his walk, he did find an abandoned campsite that led him further to finding a very strange, like, and this is on video. So this okay. is a Vice video. You can go find it on YouTube. But he found a very elongated stuffed character. To me, it was like kind of clown like it had like a pinstripe suit it's nailed upside down to a tree like in its palms and its feet and its face was like gouged out and he took that to represent that this person had a contempt for society and that it was leaving a sort of curse and he did find a suicide note close by it was like a wood placard that was also nailed to a tree it says I came here because nothing good has ever happened in my life don't look for me my heart aches for like people who feel that his interpretation was you know this might be a good sign because most people don't do all this type of stuff. Um, So typically if someone's intent on dying like they'll get on with it and they won't leave so much behind. Mm -hmm. So either they're still there or they may have left or they did and it was just took them a while to go through some emotions. Right and he was mad and you know you never know. I wonder if some people go into the forest thinking that they're going to commit suicide. They don't leave tape or whatever and then they end up changing their mind but they can't get out of the forest that is a big one yeah further in his walk he also found rope hanging from a branch mm. it was cut and the noose was on the ground okay he assumes that this person was found mm-hmm. and then removed from the forest in another spot he found a woman's compact like a like a mirror like a mirror thing mm-hmm. and he found a book and that book I will get into a little bit because it's important but I'm not going to do that right now okay he also found close by another cut noose and he can assume that she was also found and she succeeded in hanging herself Sadly, then he came upon a body. It was only bones and a noose was intact above the body. It was that of a man and he guessed that it was a year or two old because it was just bones. So I saw in some other things that they think that he took drugs, but his bones were beneath a noose. So I think just over time and the one to two years he decomposed Mm -hmm. and he literally just fell fell, out, fell out of the noose. Um, But he said, quote, I think it's impossible to die heroically by suicide, which is what we'll talk about okay. is an almost an opposite thing of what traditional Japanese thought has been regarding suicide. When talking about how humans decompose, like how the body rots and starts to stink, flesh disintegrates, how parasites and bugs take over before there is nothing left. I think the way we live in society these days has become more complicated. Face-to-face communication used to be vital, but now we can live our lives being online all day. Yeah, and completely isolated. The truth of the matter is we still need to see each other's faces, read their expressions, hear their voices so we can fully understand their emotions to coexist. You think you die alone, but that is not true. Nobody is alone in this world. We have to coexist and we have to take care of each other. Amen. Yeah. Around the forest, there are signs posted in areas at the beginning and in areas where some may choose to veer off the path saying your life is a precious gift from your parents please think about your parents siblings and children don't keep it to yourself talk about your troubles contact suicide prevention association 
that kind of reminds me of the Golden Gate Bridge. And it's right. to me, their signs are like, I've seen them when you mention them. Mm-hmm. It's very cold. They are. The, at least these signs are like, think about your mom and dad. Think about your mom and but dad. But what if your mom and dad is the reason you're there? I think that's more of a cultural thing. Yes. And the Japanese culture, that respect and, for elders. But it says like, don't keep it to yourself. Talk about your troubles. And our signs don't say that. They're just like, they're just like, call this number suicide. with a stranger. And exactly. They're going to save you. So Azusa said that he read a book once that hanging is the least painful way but he actually met a young man who tried to hang himself and he said it was extremely painful Mm. and he failed because his feet were actually too close to the ground and so he was able to like prop himself up just enough to cause damage because he survived with a very scarred neck and he regretted attempting it Otherwise, sadly, hanging is very fatal. Most do succeed mm-hmm. uh, with those taking sleeping pills and other drugs as the, you know, next up. But with those ones, sometimes you don't get it right and they'll actually still be like very disoriented and maybe they're changing their minds and they're getting lost in the forest. They don't right, know where to, to go or they die from weakness. And so it's a very like elongated it's a long, death. Yeah, so, it doesn't happen right away. Yeah. He said before people weren't killing themselves because they couldn't adapt to society that didn't happen like it does now it is a modern phenomenon overall he has personally found over a hundred corpses in 20 years and this documentary was from like i said like a decade 10 years ago since the early 1970s a small army of police and volunteers and journalists has annually scoured the area in search of bodies they almost never leave empty-handed Since 2009, the Yamanashi Prefecture began hiring people to patrol the forest and approach anyone who, to them, might not look like the average tourist out on a hike. Overall, Japan's suicide rates are among the highest in the developed world. But why is that? Yeah, why? Japan culturally neither shares the openness of discussing mental health issues nor the same stigma around suicide as it exists in the West. Mental health is not something that is talked about in mainstream media as we do now. Suicide is not as taboo. As doctors Roxanne Russell, Daniel Mitro, and Mauricio Toen said in their peer-reviewed article titled Cultural Influences on Suicide in Japan in 2016, in Japanese society, the group takes precedent as the most important social unit over the individual. Maintaining group harmony, even at the expense of personal freedom, is considered virtuous, and generally, Japanese are very conscious of how they are viewed by their peers. Shame and social isolation are the primary means used to maintain social cohesion and can also extend beyond the offending individual to family and associates. Therefore, restoring one's social standing is a responsibility to family and friends as well as oneself. Historically, the most extreme form of restoring social order has been suicide, the ultimate form of self-sacrifice. This kind of suicide that has traditionally been seen as a rational and willful act has been referred to as kakugo no jusatsu. Suicide of resolve, maybe saying that wrong. But in the old days in Japan, suicide was mainly known as a samurai's act, known as seppuku. Okay. Or seppuku. Try. I know. We're not. And I'm going to say these words so many times, so don't get mad. (laughs) Sorry if you're Japanese and we're butchering it. I really am. Sorry. In the West, moreover, Christianity and Catholicism, for example, suicide is very taboo. Right. You're going to hell. Right. That's what they. Nowadays, if you go to look it up. 
now they're like, oh, you're misinterpreting everything. <laughs> if you take your life, it is considered a massive offense, one possibly punished by hell right. or a mortal sin. Yes, it's argued that because God can only know the depths of our soul as a person who took their life, therefore not all are automatically damned to hell, but it's sure pushed on us, you know, uh, and threatened yeah. upon us that, you know, suicide is an unforgivable sin. Absolutely. In the Christian religion, that's unthinkable. But if you, you're, uh, I, you're damned, I tried to look know? it up before I came here to like see what they're saying online with Christianity, like as, as a whole, right. And Catholicism, they're like, oh, that's not what we're saying but not then anymore. if you if you go through it though and you were to highlight specific lines in a few paragraphs I'm like that's what you're that is saying. what you're saying you just Sorry. don't want to sound as harsh as you but actually now are. you're in modern times and you're not going to tell us that right because before you're saying well yeah you're going to hell well they don't want to lose followers because they're already exactly. losing so many followers in the younger generations we're all turning away from religion so yeah now they're like no it's cool it's fine they're like well god will ultimately decide but then what they tell you is like well yeah god loves you but you know what you you fucked up yeah so. and, and you're gonna have to pay for that and you should be ashamed if you are a family member even i think there's so much stigma around yeah. suicide like the family can save that person and they didn't do enough and like people are left feeling ashamed or guilty that they didn't help yeah but sometimes there's you don't even know right what some like you said at the beginning you don't know what someone else you is going know. through depression is it's hardcore yeah but let's look at Japanese seppuku for a moment and paint the scene as to why suicide has such a deep-rooted history in Japan. Samurai were a class of highly skilled warriors that arose in Japan after the Takai reforms in 646 AD, which included land redistribution and heavy new taxes meant to support an elaborate Chinese-style empire. The reforms forced many small farmers to sell their land and work as tenant farmers. Over time, a few large landholders amassed power and wealth, creating a feudal system similar to that of medieval Europe. To defend their riches, Japanese feudal lords hired the first samurai warriors, or bushi. Some were also relatives of the landowners they protected. The samurai code emphasized loyalty to one's master, even over family loyalty. History shows that the most loyal samurai were usually family members or financial dependents of their lords. To defend weak emperors of the Heian era, samurai moved in closer to the capital and after years of fighting established a military government known as the Shogunate. They had both military and political power over much of Japan by the early 1100s. Now there is a lot of history to go through from the 1100s to 1877 when the era of samurai came to an end. And I'm not going to go through all of that because then I should just do an episode on, on samurai. samurais. I don't think I realized that. I don't know what it's I thought a of samurai. Time. I was thinking yeah. like more military type, but that's interesting that they were basically just private soldiers. They are, but they became the military. Okay. Yeah. So the culture of the samurai was grounded in the concept of Bushido or the way of the warrior. The central tenets being honor and freedom from fear of death. A samurai was legally entitled to cut down any commoner who failed Aww. to honor him or her. Properly, there were girl samurais. The warrior yes. was believed to be imbued with the Bushido spirit. 
He or she was expected to fight fearlessly and die honorably rather than surrender in defeat. Out of the disregard for death came the Japanese tradition of seppuku, in which defeated warriors and disgraced government officials would commit suicide in honor by disemboweling themselves. Ouch. Seppuku translates to self-disembowelment. Why did they choose that? Another word for this mainly used by foreigners is harakiri, which means belly cutting. So I think it is because the spirit, like our soul, is believed to be in our bellies. Okay. So that's the way to get your soul out. It's not a quick death. It's not. It's very, it's... Like if you get shot in the stomach, you bleed out, but it takes a long time. I didn't go into all of, I did in my research anyway, but I did hear about it. I didn't write it here. It's not a quick death. But in kindness, you usually do have another samurai brother or soldier or some yes exactly so you do the ritual and then they're there to quickly end it for you good yes so quoting britannica the proper method for committing the act developed over several centuries was to plunge the short sword into the left side of your abdomen draw the blade laterally across the right and then turn it upward it was considered an exemplary form to stab again below the sternum and then press downward across the first cut and then to pierce one's throat being an extremely painful and slow means of suicide like you said it was favored under bushido as an effective way to demonstrate courage and self-control and a strong resolve of the samurai and to prove serenity and sincerity of purpose. Women of the samurai class also committed ritual suicide, but instead of slicing the abdomen, they slashed their throats with a short dagger. So I wonder why that was only women. Well, I wonder why that was only for men to like do the whole. So they didn't want women to let their souls out or? I really don't know because that's They don't think women can handle, I mean. So one thing I didn't write down either, but in my research, uh, women are, you know, just as anywhere else. Second class. We're we're a confusing species, you know, like um, here, it took a long time. Yeah. But I think it was like until, I don't know, 1948. Dang it, I didn't write this down. It was a modern time. Women were not allowed on Mount Fuji at all because we bleed and we have children. So. Which makes us amazing. We're unsanitary. And, you know, not worthy. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yes, they're just like even in suicide, women have to be like, we can't go out as brave as the men. We have to, you know, I feel like there's a Joan of Arc in here somewhere and she didn't anyway. And we just don't know her story. I'm going to slice my stomach. She's going to do it the way that this is bullshit. (laughs) I'm sure it's there. I'm sure it's there. Here's the problem between countries, though. Language. Yeah. And we are still like internet didn't start that long ago, actually, if you think about it. So we're still without all of the information that brings us together. And now in a way it's being censored in what we can see and what we can research. So let's fly to Japan. Well, it's already planned. I want to go there so bad. I do too. So seppuku was either voluntary or obligatory, though. It didn't necessarily mean that someone actually wanted to do it. They just had to. Sometimes they were ordered to. Voluntary seppuku came about to avoid the dishonor of failing or falling into the hands of an enemy during battle. Obligatory seppuku was used either to atone for one's own failures or to follow his lord in death. Uh, So they had to kill themselves because their lord died? Yes. For instance, have Uh, you heard of 47 Ronin? No. Okay. Well, Ronin means 
a masterless samurai. There's a movie about this. Okay, that kind of rings a bell. With Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? I mm-hmm. remember anything it's with Keanu Reeves. It's kind of more fantasy. There's like actual monsters in that one and stuff. But so for the 47 Ronin, their lord, Lord Asano Naganori, died. He was ordered to commit seppuku after he attempted to kill a shogunate official, who I can't claim deserved it. <laughs> but this official, Kira, made his life a living hell for not having the proper court etiquette. So it was just all around frustration is kind of what it seemed like. Yeah. And that's the story that I'm getting from what I've read. But I'm also reading all these English translations right, of this story that has a massive impact. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Although Kira was assigned to the task to help him and another lord gain their proper etiquette, Asano did not bribe his way into Kira's good graces as the other one did. And Kira treated him very poorly and disrespected him often in front of a lot of people. Asano reached a point where he decided that he needed to kill Kira. (laughs) (laughs) We can't say how dramatic those moments of disrespect were because this was also a lord who apparently had 47 samurais behind him as well. So he was an important person, but he was more that country than they wanted in the capital or where this was. He tried to kill him, but he failed. He injured him slightly, but violence is actually forbidden, especially against a shogunate official. And he was ordered to commit seppuku the same day. And he did. Mm. Um, His loyal samurai, upon hearing of his death, went against the code of the samurai. Ronin are supposed to immediately commit ritual suicide upon the death of their master, and they did not. Instead, they stewed for about a year and decided to avenge their fallen lord. It's quite the story, actually. Yeah, I want to watch this now. And that's why I'm sure it was turned into a movie. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if 47 Ronin with Keanu Reeves matches this. God, I'm sure <laughs> no. it's, you know, Hollywoodized. Um, exactly. They all took different jobs throughout cities and became different tradesmen and merchants and monks. And they infiltrated Kira's life. And okay. at first, Kira was very aware, like, oh, they might have revenge because they're supposed to commit suicide. And they did they not. Did, and yeah. they left and they went about their lives. But they did. They infiltrated his life even working in his own home and so he eventually like let down his guard and then one night all 47 hidden samurais attacked him they told him that they came for revenge and they offered to let him die an honorable seppuku by his own doing but he did not he offered no response and so they killed him they cut off his head and then they took his head to lord asano's tomb in his honor But the Ronin did turn themselves in because that was what their life's purpose was. Their objective was. And the Shogun ordered them to all commit seppuku. And they did. Except one. One was pardoned. And I do not know why. If it is an honorable thing to do, why can one be pardoned? It's one of those things I didn't quite understand in history. Mm -hmm. But the story became a legend in Japanese culture, and it symbolizes loyalty, sacrifice, persistence, and honor. It is believed that the way of the samurai and honorable seppuku has influenced suicide as an acceptable way for others to gracefully bow out. Okay. More modern examples, of, I would say, included the kamikaze of World War II. Yep, I know those. The suicide attacks around 3,800 Japanese pilots flew their bomb-loaded aircrafts into enemy ships and bunkers, mm-hmm. you know, famously, famously is the attack of Pearl Harbor. Right. And that was in the 1940s. So that wasn't too long ago. But oh my gosh, we're almost there. It's almost been 100 years. Think about it. We're into the 1940s now? We're not into the 1940s. Oh, you're saying we're almost rounding to, up. Yeah, we're almost 100. Right. Yeah. 
I'm not being that one girl who I saw on TikTok and she's like, if your child is born in 2023, that means they might live till the 3000s. Oh, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> oh, she's. <laughs> oh, you just did I it. I almost did it. I'm that girl. You're that, that me? girl. That was you. That's so funny. Okay. I'm done now. I'm confused. Nobody lives. That I know, long. but I'm confused where that calculation comes in. <laughs> 2023. So many of the men who commit suicide in the forest are actually failed businessmen. Oh. They believe that they have failed. Many Japanese men feel disrespected when they're laid off. Oh. Many of them held high roles, including CEO. Yeah. Being unable to face family and loved ones, they may have felt as if the samurais did. They felt that suicide was the route to atone for their failings and why suicide may be so prevalent for the Japanese. But why Aokikahara? Well, Mount Fuji is considered to be holy, like okay. I said, and the forest is quiet and beautiful. Mm-hmm. May have started out as being just an ideal location simply for that. But the reasons for this and its increased popularity is rooted in folklore and literary pop culture. Local legend has it that Aokikahara was a place where people once practiced taking an elderly or sick relative to a remote area and leaving them to die, Ah. which is sinicide. This is unconfirmed as sinicide was never common in Japanese culture. That doesn't seem very honorable. But it's said in feudal times when food was scarce. Scarce. (laughs) You saw it read it like scarf? (laughs) Scarce. Scarface. You're like, I know how to talk. I I am educated. I was just talking to my sister about this before we came in here. I'm like, I have to talk. And I'm talking about culture and suicide and it's scary. And you're saying lots of Japanese and, words. And I'm like, I am educated. I just can't and say And we sound like idiots right. sometimes. We're just like, yeah. And it happens every episode, both of us. <laughs> But when food was scarce, families would take a dependent elderly relative and leave them there. It was typically a woman. Oh, uh, of course. But it was thought that it was sometimes like uh, not like they were chosen, but more of a voluntary thing. And of course, it's going to be the woman. woman. The mother is always going to sacrifice first. But the original ghosts are Yuri, 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 again, I'm trying, (laughs) (laughs) that visitors claim to see are those of the vengeful spirits of the elderly abandoned to die of starvation or the elements, or they may have taken their own lives to not die such a long, painful death. I was about death. to say, that's a horrible way to go, starvation. Aoki Gahara's history with suicide began long ago, though, with tourists in the areas in the 1950s reporting encountering decomposing bodies. Mm. But it is believed that it was plunged into the spotlight when two novels by Secho Matsumoto were published in 1960. One was called Kuroi Jukai, translated as Black Sea of Trees, and another Nami no To, which translates to the Tower of Waves. One is kind of like a Romeo and Juliet situation in which the story's lovers commit suicide in the Aokikahara forest, while the other one is about a young woman who is stuck in a scandalous love affair and decides to venture into the forest and take her own life. Both romanticize suicide in the forest. In my research, both of these books were brought up as the catalyst, but I think there is some confusion and maybe even I'm confused. (laughs) In all accounts I found, 
one or the other was mentioned, but never both together. Okay. So like one person recounting of the suicide forest would say, this book's to blame. And then the other one would say, well, this book's to blame. But they're kind of different stories. One would right. mention this Romeo love and Juliet love you know, situation. The other one is a love situation too, but it's kind of like a girl who's given up and she was in this affair and now she's going and to And she wasn't this. chosen or... And sadly, I can't read Japanese, so... I can't track down the absolute correct information, but I did see that if you look up the author, both are listed as separate books. Okay. And I also don't know that what I'm seeing online is not someone putting them both there because they also have regurgitated information that are like both of these books are from the same year. So I don't know. (laughs) It's kind of hard to know. The joys of research. What it is. I was able to find Kuroi Jukai available for purchase on Amazon, but you need to know how to read Japanese because there's no English translation. I wasn't able to find the other one. Mm. I'm trying to relay the correct information here, but you know, there's just a brick wall with some of these things. But I thought it was very interesting that both were kind of used. Maybe it is the same book, different names, but it's right. used interchangeably. I don't know. And who knows if it's just all hearsay too. I don't know. Always. There's always that chance in any yeah. story, paranormal. There is, but there is another book that I would argue has done a lot more. Okay. And not just in the forest, but for the Japanese, regardless of location, it's called The Complete Manual of Suicide. Uh, when was that written? It was written by Wataru Tsurumi, and it was published in 1993. So What? Yeah. It's believed that this book added fuel to the fire and enhanced suicide rates. Uh, yeah. In the book, the author describes Aoki Kahara as the ideal place to commit oh suicide God. and even suggested areas of the forest that are rarely walked through so that their bodies will not be discovered. Remember the book that I told you about that the the guy found with the woman's yes, compact? Yes. This this is that book. That's a horrible um, like it's been found littered throughout the that forest. That seems very irresponsible of the author to write a book like that. He has a reason for it. But it, what's sad is it was also found with junior high school students as well oh, in the yeah. forest. And so its influence holds weight. Yeah. <laughs> From what I could find, it sold more than a million copies. That's scary. Supposedly, it's still available. I did find versions of it online, like on uh, Like eBay, translated eBay. versions? I don't know about translated. People do try to do translated summaries, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's translated to English now. Okay. Uh, because it's not something I think we would accept here. No. So, but it wasn't censored by the government. There were only some prefectures that the sale of it was kind of restricted. It wasn't allowed to be sold to the youth. But it's still hard to believe that a book exists like this. It's a 198-page book detailing suicide methods, including the pain each method causes, how much preparation is required, the appearance of the body after death, and the lethality of each method. The book delivers 11 ways, overdosing, hanging, self-defenestration, which is jumping out of a window, okay, slashing of the wrist and the carotid artery, car collision, gas poisoning, electrocution, drowning, self-immolation, freezing, and miscellaneous. I'm not sure what is what? included yeah. in miscellaneous, but I don't think we need to go into that and get that detailed here. The author said, quote, to think that the worst crucial moment one can escape from the pain by committing suicide, one can live for the moment easier. 
So by distributing this book, I want to make this stifling society an easier place to live. That is the goal of this book. And uh, I never intend to encourage readers to commit suicide. I uh, think that, what else are you trying to do, bro? Exactly. Like, I think that book, book about how to commit suicide. Why else would you be looking at like, suicide? I'm not going to read how to commit suicide if I'm not interested in doing so. So I found like some interesting opinions about this book online. One argument I've seen is that because of this book, because it does detail the different ways and how successful each method is, that more Japanese choose the more fatal options of suicide compared to others. So they don't get like a, they don't get that moment of deciding otherwise. And because I can't read it, I can't say exactly what the tone of the book is, but many claim that it is exactly what it is, a manual. It's a listing in detail in a non-emotional way that the author just wants everyone to have the right to decide what to do with their lives. However, another person who did read the Japanese version said the author seems to constantly be teasing the reader. He actively lowers the reader's self-esteem by writing over and over that their life is a vicious cycle of boring tasks and painful experiences and that he has the perfect solution just for them. Hang yourself, jump onto the train tracks. He writes as if he were telling a child to play ball. It is one of the most despicable books out there and it should only be read as a way to try and understand the zeitgeist of the 90s in Japan. Sounds like a real asshole that wrote this book. (laughs) So take what you will of that. We can't be certain the influence of this book on suicide. It's out in the forest. They're finding copies of it. So it's got some influence. And where is this guy who wrote the book he's probably still living his life and making money off of it probably off, he's basically making the money yeah. off of suffering individuals and that makes him an asshole in I my mean, book all I know is that he helped one person commit suicide and yeah and that was enough That's and I, I want to think about like back to last week's episode love and light and all of that but this guy maybe he needs to have a negative near-death experience <laughs> maybe he has and he's seeing it the other way I don't know but then he want to encourage his whole, suicide his whole claim though is that and it's an interesting thing to argue because this is Japanese culture and we're right. not we're and not I'm in a that stupid culture. White girl. And Japanese culture was tolerated for a very long time and still is in many ways. And he was just giving a more it's matter like of fact. He was giving the recipe of like you want this way or you want that way. Let's let's help you out. So he thinks That's he's doing a arguing. service, maybe. So a lot of this is old versus new thoughts. Yeah. But ultimately it is their choice. But if something like this wasn't readily available, they might not have found the confidence to do it in the first place. And maybe someone would have helped them. It's such a touchy topic. I feel like it does need to be discussed. Yeah. You don't need anything out there encouraging. I don't want to say that one culture's beliefs are wrong and like our West thinking ways are right. I just know that we need to value each other and that everyone's life matters and it's difficult to take it in one way or another and just That's turn where my I cheek. Am. It's yeah, it's not just about culture, it's about just that individual struggling yeah. and and they need support and yeah. they're not getting it from the society. Instead, they're getting a book that's telling them to go forward with destructive plans. Another reason for Aoki Kahara's popularity as a destination for suicide was fueled by well, movies Always. and <laughs> uh, YouTuber Logan Paul. I became aware of Aoki Kahara originally by watching The Forest and The Sea of Trees, both of which I believe were released in uh, 2015 or 2016 or one or the other, meaning one was 2015. One was one and one, yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
I feel like I might have heard of it beforehand, but that's what I attribute it to. Like, I remember seeing the forest specifically uh-huh. and being like, oh, wow. Have you seen either? I have not seen either one. <laughs> Okay, well, they're good movies, I think. I tried to watch The Forest when I was setting up to do this, but it's not available. Uh I pay for it, so that's frustrating. One is The Forest is more of a horror thriller. Okay. Uh, It has Natalie Dormer in it. I love her. Okay, yeah. Yeah, She's known for like... And then the Tudors, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Yeah. She's also in The Hunger Games. That's right. She was with half of her head shaved. (laughs) Yeah. She was badass. Yeah, so... But she's trying to find her twin sister. So like she gets note that her twin sister went into the forest and she's somewhere else. And she I'm not going to ruin this movie for anybody. Yeah, please don't. Uh, but I Spoiler liked it. Alert. I liked it. The other one was The Sea of Trees with Matthew McConaughey and Ken Watanabe. I know him. I've heard, I've seen him in other things. I know. I can see his face. I know he was in like Inception. I think it was Inception. Mm-hmm. I know that he was in a samurai movie as well. Let me just uh, tell you. He was in The, the Last, Last samurai. samurai. He was in Inception. You're yeah. doing well. He was in Godzilla. Godzilla. Yeah. Two of the Godzilla movies. He's been in a lot. He's been in a lot of movies. He's a well-known actor. The King and I. That's the one I was thinking okay. of. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Anyway, in this movie, in the Sea of Trees, they run into each other. I believe Matthew goes there to, obviously his name's different in the movie, to contemplate suicide for himself. Like he's having a hard time in life and... And he comes upon Ken and Ken had attempted and failed or something. And they both don't want to die now, but they're stuck. Like they get lost lost in the forest. So then they're trying to help each other. So it's kind of like this uh, movie of survival realizations and survival. That sounds good. That sounds like my kind of movie. Yeah. But there's this incident with a YouTube star, Logan Paul. Okay. Apparently this was big, big, big fucking news. I don't know Logan Paul. So I don't remember it, but it kind of thrust. Aoki Kahara back into the spotlight and understandably once I found out about this story so he's a really popular guy currently like as of today he has 23.6 million followers on YouTube that's a lot of people is he younger oh I'd say he's in his late 30s now oh, okay well I don't know we should I know him I, I, I don't know anything yeah. about them but it started on December 31st of 2017 he posted a video he was in the forest and they came across a body whole purpose of being there was to do what any other youtuber anybody would be like oh it's haunted you know let's mm-hmm. get some stuff here but they continued to videotape oh. and they showed his decomposing face and body and they laughed and they ultimately decided to post the video fuckers but it was very disrespectful and he was immediately taken apart by it good yeah you should be yeah to take it down i understand there's some people who like in morbid situations their response is to be comical in some way but it was his decision afterwards to then do the editing and post post it it. like you have to sit there and look at this it's not like it's a snapchat no i don't even have snapchat i don't know how it works all i know is it's not an immediate thing you have to then go Ooh, look look i'm laughing and 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 think that that's okay yeah so i looked him up he is a wwe professional wrestler oh he's a wrestler and he's 28 years old oh he's only 28 well maybe this gave him some wrinkles 
he did end up taking it down right away and apologizing and interviewed people who actually tried to commit suicide and he tried to understand it more and he put out this so he thing. he tried to redeem himself. He did try to redeem himself and he dedicated a million dollars to okay. suicide prevention and stuff. So if he is still in his 20s and this was uh, seven years ago, six, seven years ago, he was really it. young. Kids are fucking stupid. He was 20 or 21 years old. They're so fucking we stupid. can forgive that. Honestly, he's getting a lot of harsh talk online still when I listen to videos. And well, if it's not every day that you come across a dead body. No. And and I, even though if he, they went there to try and see if ooh ghosts or maybe that will right. happen, how do you actually respond to it? But this thing, these are human beings who are still there and they took their lives and it's extremely right. sad. And their family might not even know no, that that's there. where he is. And they're it's laughing. Sad. It's yeah, it sucks. So I'm glad pretty that harsh. it was taken down and it was a major life lesson for him, but he's not hurting. No, he's making millions of dollars now and has like 28,000 or 28 million followers or something. That's I just ins- read. So that's, an, that's be better. insane. And I, hopefully that's hopefully what he's he doing. Better. I have no idea. I don't know his content. I don't know what he's doing now. So we'll see. So ultimately, I can see the lore of the forest. I do want to go there. I want to go what there. What I've just... seen, it's amazingly beautiful. But mm-hmm. you can't help to question the sinister things that call it home as well. Which is what is the lore, right? Most... Well, you have so many spirits there, exactly, and most believe that it's the ghosts of the people that have taken their lives there. Right. Alkigahara is believed to be extremely haunted and filled with vengeful spirits. Those who seek to lure visitors off the trails into their deaths, whether they entered the forest intending to commit suicide or not that's creepy spiritualists say that the trees themselves are filled with malevolent energy accumulated from the centuries of suicide the trees i mean they're Don't so close on the trees. but they're so close together and that's why and we're talking oh, about them being yeah beings they're living themselves, yeah. so they're also tortured and they're absorbing that energy yeah. and and sharing it with each other love the trees is what we say but that doesn't mean that they can't unfortunately be then pulled be down tainted. just like us if we're yeah. around negative energy exactly. it brings us down And it's sad because it's at the base of a holy mountain. And they're beautiful trees. Yeah. So I read this one blog. It was written by Aguinaldo, who went to Aokikahara. And I'm going to just read part of his experience. He says, in the middle of the trails, an area that is forbidden, where a sign says, no entry. I immediately entered the forbidden track. My friend was reluctant to enter at first, but he decided to go. And for only a few meters, he stood where he could see no entry sign. So he would not get lost. I told him I would explore the forbidden track and ask asked him to keep talking to me so I wouldn't get lost. I could not see my friend as gnarly trees were already blocking my sight of him. I walked for about five minutes. I could barely hear his voice anymore. At this point, everything looked exactly the same. It was easy to get lost in that part of the forest. Thoughts of leaving my jacket and other things on the floor to serve as markers were already running through my head. And after a few minutes of walking further, I heard a bird and I got startled for a bit, but I still wanted to explore the depths of the forest more. It felt like something was pulling me. I just kept walking deeper and deeper into the forest. I noticed on my far right from where I was standing that there were plastic tapes wrapped around trees. But then suddenly I heard another sound, a creepy one that I could not figure out. For some reason, I remember a blog I read online that says that the forest tries to lure you in and make you want to get further until you get lost in it. That gave me the chills. I knew it was time to decide to return back. Right. So he did. But he felt that pull. Like it was pulling him deeper. Like, just go a little further. Because it said that you literally just you walk in there a little bit. 
everything looks the same because it's so twisted and mossy and the trees are so close that you're not going to tell one thing from another. It's not like you're going into our forest here and it's like, oh, I remember those two little twin trees over there and that big one over there. But this is just so, it's just a maze. I just wanted to read that just because that's one of the things that you read a lot is that you can get lost there and there's this feel, this pull that the forest wants to keep you in it. Unfortunately, putting up signs that say no entry just makes everyone want to go in. (laughs) Especially stupid, especially young tourists and Americans or just other people. Oh, there must be something really good there if it says no entry. Exactly. So from what I could find based on Japanese belief, any person who dies has to receive proper ritual treatment in order to transition to the world of the dead. If they don't receive these rites, it is believed that the soul of the deceased person will linger in the physical plane of existence. If someone commits suicide in one spot, it is believed that the yurei, the ghost, will be hanging around that spot where they committed suicide. Like they're tied to it. Right. They're like tied forever. There. Yeah. So it could be an object or a place. So it becomes a potential danger spot if other people are just walking through it. Aokikahara is filled with hundreds, if not thousands of these spots throughout where someone has taken their own life. It's amazing that so many people come together to comb the forest when possible to find the missing people and take them out of it. Because if this is true, they're potentially saving many souls from staying stagnant in the forest. Okay, yeah. So that makes it an even more important part. You take them out and then their Mm -hmm. soul gets to rest in a proper burial. What's scary about this, though? So the bodies that they find, they'll bring it down to the station. Um, They have a spare room that's especially for them. Okay. And in the room, there are two beds. One is for the corpse and the other one is for someone who needs to sleep next to it. Mm. So I feel bad for the person that has to do this. The workers actually play Jenkin, which is like rock, paper, scissors to decide who has to sleep in the room with the corpse. With the dead corpse. Yeah. yeah. Because you can't leave the corpse alone overnight. It's thought that if the corpse is left alone, the lonely and unsettled Yuri will scream the entire night and will move itself into the regular sleeping quarters. So it's kind of scary, but they're doing a good deed. It's just that someone has to be there <laughs> like, with them. They're like, not it, not it. <laughs> Maybe they'll be nice if it's just one person. They're like, oh, I have company for once and I'm not in the forest anymore, so I'll be chill. Yeah, they're like, oh, this person's doing a, a nice thing. I yeah. won't haunt them tonight. Hopefully not. To understand why the Yuri and Aokikahara are feared, let's go into the Yuri a bit more and historically the impact of Yuri for the Japanese. First, let me give you an image. So from what I could find, Yuri are typically depicted as women with long, black, stringy hair and like a white dress or a kimono. Okay, I'm thinking the grudge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Something like that. And if you just put in Yuri into Google, you'll just have a bunch of the same images, like Mm -hmm. very similar. However, how they appear depends on their circumstances okay the circumstances of their death they retain the features and the clothing they wore when they died or were buried so that's why some are seen to be in a kimono because that that was for for the spiritual rites okay based on traditional Japanese beliefs our spirit or soul called reiken I believe that's how you say it reiken enters a sort of purgatory when we die it transforms into a yuri and bridges the gap between our world and purgatory if we were engulfed in strong emotions when dying, our death was unnatural or because of negligence in the post-funeral rites. 
Similarly, in Western culture, if you believe in ghosts, it is believed that you can help a ghost with unfinished business or resolving some right. emotional conflict, but we can help the ghost move on. But every time I think of this, it always makes me think of that one show, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Oh, Ghost Whisperer. Ghost Whisperer. I yeah. was obsessed with that. Mm-hmm. That was a good show. <laughs> that was a good show. But it's similar with Yuri to help them move on um, or you have to complete the missing rituals or rites. Okay. So if it was done incorrectly, incorrectly or not all the way. That's a lot of pressure on those who have to bury yeah. the dead in Japan. Oh, there's, yeah, tons. This is found all over the world. Right. Once you die, you know, you do need to receive a s- certain rituals at the end of it or they believe that you are, are stuck. Are stuck. Or, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, even in the U.S., that's why everyone wants to be able to find their loved ones who are missing yeah, because we want them to, to rest. Put them to rest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That is the only way to put Yuri to rest because they cannot be destroyed or exercised. Even though they're seen as these very vengeful spirits that can hurt you, you can't you can't look at them like as a demon or something like. Right, they're just lost souls. Exactly. Essentially. You need to help them in some way. So, what if you were to come across one in the forest? Well, I read a lot of accounts that they scream. That so would like, be terrifying. You're <laughs> in this dark forest. Screams. Oh my god. Yeah. Or they moan, so like, you know, not feeling well or sad. Yeah. Uh, One journalist I was reading about, he heard screaming and he tried to follow the sound and he eventually came to the body of a man. So the screaming led him to a deceased person. He assumed that it was him anyway, because it led it straight there. Yuri are capable of invoking powerful curses. Ooh. Each haunting is as unique as the person it originated from. So that person's life leading up to their death and the manner in which they died determines how, they, how they're going to be. Yeah. Considering the fact that the forest is the chosen destination for so many suicides, I'd argue that it's probably also a place of murder. Ooh. And not just the possible historical abandonment of elderly relatives. Oh, yeah. If so many people can venture into the forest to maybe or maybe not be ever seen again, then I'm sure some people have found it to be a good place to do something yeah. even a little bit more sinister. They're like, let's go for a hike. And yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, I don't even know if I should tell you about this, but I got stuck on a Reddit thread. Oh no. I was just trying to find more personal experiences of of people being in the forest. And I came across this story and it was a very long story. I can't even remember the title, but essentially it's about this kid who he or she personally had really like had a lot of trouble sleeping, would need Mm -hmm. something to help and would sometimes go down a Reddit rabbit hole and just just stay up for hours just reading stuff I mean I've probably done that and so they had found this video and started watching it the video starts with this guy in his apartment and then somehow eventually he's at Okigahara Forest you see him park walk into the forest and and he likes it like he's listening to this and he almost fell asleep to it because like it's dark it's at night He's just you're walking. Just, he, and you can just hear the crunching of his feet and it just became like ASMR. Yeah, exactly. But later into the video, all of a sudden he can hear like other people and he's like, oh, that's weird. But the cameraman, the dude just doesn't seem to even notice anything whatsoever, like doesn't acknowledge it, but you can hear it. And it comes to that. There's like these three kids, essentially, like like in their 20s. Uh-huh. And it's so weird when I read this story, the kid who's writing this really did paint the scene. But there's three kids and they're like lost in the forest oh. and they're approaching this guy and they're like, dude, we need to get out of here. Like, you know, help, you us. help us. Yeah. But the Japanese man is ignoring them, like not acknowledging them whatsoever. 
at okay. all. But the kids are like coming into the camera view. They're like, come on. I know Help we don't. Us, yeah. we, I know we don't speak your language, but I, you, and it's nighttime. One of them is like British. One you can tell is definitely American and maybe the other one is American too. And like they're wearing these distinct clothes that the kid is pointing out, like he's describing them and what he's seeing in the video. And they're following this guy forever. And at one point he goes off the trail and now he's going into the forest part and the kids are still following him Why? Yeah, because they don't know where they're, they're lost. And they're like, you're the only dude we can see. Uh, <laughs> like, And obviously yeah. you know where you're going. So can you help me? You know? And they're starting to get frustrated. You know, one of them is like, dude, just he, you're scaring him or something. You know, we're being too loud. Like, we, right. we just, let's find our own way out. And the other one's like, no, he has to help us. He can't just ignore us like this. And but he is. <laughs> so anyway, it cuts to, so that goes on for like a really long time. And it cuts to this Japanese man walking up to a small shack that's in the forest, like a shack, like little cabin. Okay. And so he's been there before. Yeah. And all three of the guys are like, whoa, dude, this is weird. No, I don't need to get murdered by this guy or whatever. Let's turn around. Let's go. And so they eventually leave. But then this Japanese man's still filming and he gets inside his little cabin. You can see everything. And he sits down and the kid who's writing the story notices something very particular hanging up in the closet where the man went and put his coat or something. And it's the same sweater that one of the kids was wearing. Oh, so he's done this very before. Distinct, a very distinct sweater. And in the video, the man goes down to a floor and he like opens this thing in the floorboard and in this like dirt hole underneath the planks is wallets and other oh my things. God. And the man gets himself like a beer or something, sits down on this little couch in the shack and he just starts laughing and his laughing gets more sinister and more sinister and more sinister. And then all of the sudden, the video cuts back to the man's apartment where the video had originally started. Okay. And that's it. In view of the camera, though, are these three tourists, the same kids, in this man's apartment drinking sake. Weird. And they're laughing. You can hear them talking, and they're like, dude, don't drink anymore. And da, 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 we got to oh, go. God. Da, da. So it's scary, and I'm not going to like repeat everything he said, but essentially this kid on video watches this man murder all three of them. That's fucked up. In a really fucked up way, too. Like, murder, like, murders them. And this guy's Blood videoing everywhere. It? He's videoing it. He How is he not arrested? Them. So that's part of the drama of what this video is. He dismembers them. He does tons of stuff, and he's videotaping everything. And so the kid who's watching this video, he's like, I knew I was supposed to turn it off, but like it was sickening because he realized this man's making this video for somebody to watch it because yeah, he posted sick it. Fuckers out there! And then at one point in the video, it cuts to him being like across the street in Tokyo or somewhere downtown, and he's videotaping those three kids across the street, like at a pub, and okay. so. And he even goes up to them, like part of the camera is him walking up to one of them and like talking for a second. So the thought is, is that, you know, he stalked them, got them to come back to the apartment, right? killed them. And either them following him in the forest was part of it. And he just stitched all of this together really weirdly. Okay. Or they were ghosts and they didn't know what they were doing. Mm. Um, You know, they're stuck with him now. 
because he ended up bringing their belongings back to back the shack. To, so the they're forest. stuck in the forest. Yeah, it's really creepy. But anyway, this kid thinks he witnessed three murders and it was taken down. But before it was taken down, there were something like hundreds of thousands of views of these kids getting murdered. When was this? Well, I like you can go find the Reddit. I think it wasn't that long ago, like within the last couple of years. So that's why I'm like, there has to be murder there, too. Well, yeah, if I mean, so think about it. Okay. How many people were actually murdered and didn't go to commit suicide? Or like that's the perfect ground for a serial killer. Think yeah. about it to just like stalk it. And that's like this what guy. this man seems seems to and be. Find he knows where he's people. going in there. Yeah. The hole in the ground was not just one thing. No, it he's was been doing many. this a while. Yeah. And he was laughing. Oh, there's so Take many sadistic him. people out there. Like it's scary. We don't, we don't know. But they walk among us. Yeah. Tokyo is the largest city in the world. Like, it's really easy to hide. Yeah. Yeah. And, and especially in such a conformist country. Yeah. Like, if, as long as you're going with the flow, it might be hard to even know who's. And if you're killing yeah. tourists or, you know, people exactly. from out of the country. Yeah. And they can just say, oh, well, they went in the forest. Yeah, exactly. They're lost. Because, oh. It's so scary. Every single day, it's so scary. Okay, so maybe we don't want to visit, or at least definitely not at night. I, I will not go off the trail. <laughs> I'll go with a guide. That's not a serial killer, hopefully. I think if there was like 10 of us <laughs> go in a big group, we'd yes. be quiet, but you know, buddies. <laughs> I'll go on a tour bus with like a tour guide or something. <laughs> we all have one of those backpacks on that links up to each other. <laughs> anyway, so yes. I'm sure that Reddit thread's still up there if you just look up Aoki Kahara for us, but this kid's account and what he saw is pretty that's it's pretty harrowing crazy. account. Yeah. But Yuri are taken really serious in Japan. Uh, if someone dies in a home or was murdered, especially like you have to tell the people who are gonna rent or that I like the property or management or if yeah. it's going to sell or something because the home will end up selling for like half the price because they take it so seriously they're called incident houses that's what they refer them that once again the, <laughs> the movie the grudge is like if you haven't seen that definitely oh, watch it that okay. was what exactly Same what thing. happened an american company or an american company <laughs> an american couple bought the house right mm -hmm. and they i thought seen, they got a deal yeah i've seen several movies like with the same premise as yeah. well yeah Besides the Yuri, there are other legends about the area. Legends within Japanese mythology believe that the forest is home to demons, mythical creatures, and entities with supernatural forces that pull visitors in and want to keep them forever. Mm. So I tried my darndest to find as much as I could, but really the only thing that I could find other than the Yuri is Tengu. I don't think he's as bad. <laughs> Tengu is like a demon? Or? Yeah, so Tengu, he's a bird demon. That's what they call him. And okay. he's said to call the forest home. Tengu translates to heavenly dog or heavenly sentinel. It's from Shinto belief. Uh, Tengu are considered to be a type of supernatural being and were originally thought to take the forms of birds of prey and a monkey deity and they were traditionally depicted with human monkey and avian characteristics with like a red face and a long nose so if you were to look up a tengu there's a lot of different depictions but the demon will typically have like this very red face with like a very protruding nose okay the image has gradually softened for them buddhism long held that they were disruptive demons and harbingers of war but now they're kind of seen as this protective, still dangerous, but protective spirit of mountains and forests. Okay. Um, 
thought to inhabit like the tops of tall trees sometimes in remote areas and they are rarely seen. So the Aokikahara forest is kind of perfect because it has these big tall trees. Yeah. And But it sounds like they're overlooking the forest. So as long as you're not right. like carving into the trees or probably, you know, <laughs> graffiti, uh, whatever, then I, he comes for you. I don't I didn't want to go into a main history about about them because it wasn't necessarily tied to just this forest. But in the past, they used to abduct priests. Oh, and then drop them in other places. So they weren't even really killing. It's like they were just being very disruptive. <laughs> They're like, uh, I think you should go here. They're like, I don't like you. I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to drop you on top of a tree 200 miles away. <laughs> but yeah. they can... Why priests, I wonder? No, they didn't like them. I mean, mm. this is... Oh, well, I guess we're talking, demon, Yeah, we're so. talking about Shintoism and Buddhism and a priest is not of that religion. And he was, I don't know, maybe. Mm, interesting. He just was like, nope, false. They're like, don't come you. in here and try and convert exactly. people. <laughs> so they can fly and move very fast. He's um, like, I heard what you did in the Spanish Inquisition. Yeah. <laughs> it, and it might be from those different times. I think it's yeah. way back that this is how they came to be. They are considered overly prideful and arrogant creatures. They're also believed to have magical powers. Many stories show Tengu having the ability to manipulate people. So like get into your mind. Uh, They can control your mind and make you see or hear things that aren't actually happening. I saw this too with some of the Yurei. So it's like, okay, that's why Aokigahara Forest is very scary too in that sense, because you don't even know if what you're seeing is real. If maybe you're under the influence of one or of these. I was about to say, maybe you go in there just for a hike by yourself and like these we were get into your head that guy, and you then know, you commit suicide. The further he went in, he said he was starting was not to called. feel good. Yeah. You know, that's creepy. Yeah. So, but with the tango, even though it's said to be dangerous to come upon one, they rarely harm humans. They only punish people who encroach on the territory in the forest, who violate or insult them. Then they'll get a terrible punishment. So don't probably call them names like Logan Paul when he was there. Yeah, fuck him. <laughs> so for tango, though, that's why humans fear and respect. This creature nowadays shrines often have Tengu statues to convey the desire of the locals to live in peace with the land. But like also that. one of the reasons why locals don't venture into the forest all that often. Because they're respecting. They're respecting yeah. the forest and respecting the area and the mythology and everything around it. So with that, I'd say I'd just be worried more about, you know, vengeful souls and the energy of their deaths in the forest. If you don't come across a or a body, it is most definitely probably like an eerie place to be with can, the yeah. lack of sound and just the, the way it looks and the feeling, knowing that so many people did lose their lives there. It's one of those tragically beautiful places, I'm right. sure. If you ever decide to visit, unlike Logan Paul, please be <laughs> respectful if you do come across any victims of suicide. Contact the local authorities so they can appropriately handle the situation and have respect for that person's soul, whether you believe in it or not. Be thankful that you found them and that now they have a chance to move on. Like yeah. That's how I'd see it. It's a somber place and it's one where the gravity of circumstances should not be taken lightly. No. Uh, if I ever go to Japan, I do hope to visit the forest. Yeah, I think I would too. I would go in there with a reverence for it though. Yeah. And eat, like I said in the beginning, she needs a little love. That's how I would see bring it. Some positive, yeah. bring some sage. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> some offerings of some kind. Yeah. Something back to the forest. But light one thing I love. found is, yes, just light and love, no actual items. 
Because I heard that it's very littered by all the tourists and it's hard for the forest, you know, workers to keep it up and keep it clean. That kind of sucks. It was kind of just this added thing that I heard that can be very littered. And we don't need people to add stupid trinkets or anything. I don't know what they would be bringing in. Well, some families do go back and if they know where their family member committed suicide, they'll leave flowers and that's okay if it's something that's going to, you know, become part of the earth again. And, you know, the forest is already littered with the remnants of what's left behind from all those people. Yeah. So it's clear that suicide has never been held in the same regard in Japan as it is here in America. Overall, suicide has historically been tolerated and in many cases seen as a morally responsible action. Mental health awareness in Japan has always been an issue. Historically, mental illness and depression was looked down upon or ignored. However, rapid growth in suicide rates since the 1990s has increased public concern about suicide. They believe increases came from the 1997 financial crisis in Japan, with suicide increasing 30, almost 35% in 1989. Or 1998. I don't know why I said 89. And the 2008 worldwide financial crisis and COVID isolation in recent years. A 2022 study found that 8,000 more suicides in Japan happened during the pandemic between March 2020 and June 2022. 20,830 suicides known in 2021 alone. And in 2019, 70% of the suicides were men. For men 20 to 44 years old and for women 15 to 29 years old, suicide was actually the leading cause of death. Wow. So that's different. Like here, what are we saying here? It's like heart. It's usually health related here. For young. For America. For that age, it's usually car accidents. Okay. Or now, unfortunately, in America, it's gun deaths. It's taking over. I was watching a video. I don't know why any... That's their main scare, you know, is is coming here around the world. We're seen as the country with terrorism and gun violence everywhere you go, everywhere we go. Yeah. Suicide is up there. I think it's like our third leading cause for those similar age ranges. But (sighs) yeah, we're in cars a lot more in America. That's true. We have a lot more guns. Yeah. Uh, Well, for many, suicide was the outcome of work-related depression, whether that's being overworked, the pressure to retain a job, lack of stable work, losing a job, being forced to retire. One in four suicides are financially related. It's very difficult to get a loan there, and that often requires co-signers. And rather than burdening family or friends, some will opt for suicide, sadly. Just take themselves out of it. That just is so sad. It is. Because there's so much more to life than money. I know. And And I have to remind myself of this I know. It's easy to get dragged down when you feel like you can't afford life. I get it. And, Mm -hmm. oh, that just so. So there, too, suicide uh, does not void life insurance payouts. And many see that as their path to clear their debts. And to help their family members. Mm -hmm. Another messed up thing, though, that I found was that lenders, so take it alone, lenders can take, used to be able to take out life insurance policies on their borrowers without their knowledge because it included suicide coverage. So those lenders would then harass the debtors. Oh, my God. And the result was the borrower taking their life and the lenders would get paid out. That is beyond fucked up. The cycle. Oh, it's just so messed up. But thankfully, in 2006, the law was changed to prevent lenders from getting to do this. Good. Yikes. 
The elderly are also a high-risk group for suicide due to the aging population in Japan. In addition to the increased burden of health problems, which is it's a very common reason for suicide, many okay. elderly people are socially isolated as they age, particularly in rural areas. Also, many are left behind to live on their own because the younger people will move away to the big cities. Exactly. Or- yep. They face additional isolation when spouses pass away. So loneliness is a really common complaint of the elderly. And as a response, it has increased elderly suicide. But thankfully, there are companies and communities and local governments that are starting to recognize this. And they've begun offering activities to recently retired senior citizens who are at risk of feeling isolated or lonely Good to have them be a part of something. Increase in suicide is also linked to increased, surprise, internet usage and isolation. Um, Yeah, we see that. Teenage suicide rates have been the only category to increase in recent years, despite the drop in overall suicide rates over the past decade. COVID, maybe. I don't know. Internet culture. It contributes to suicide rates increasing worldwide. I was about to say, we see that worldwide. One phenomenon there that has been particularly concerning is that of Shinju. Okay. um, And that's suicide packs. They're formed online between individuals, usually strangers, via internet forums and message boards. And they have the intention of meeting up to die at the same time together by the same method so that they have someone to do it with. Yeah. Uh, This differs from the traditional Shinju, which is typically between like family members or lovers. Okay. I guess you can also kind of include murder-suicide in that. Right. Kind of area. Prior to the pandemic, on a bigger scale, the country was working to curb rates and has seen overall decreases, but there aren't a lot of resources in Japan to help with mental health. So it's a stigma. Like it is. Several plans have been rolled out since 2007 to find the root cause of suicide in order to prevent it, change cultural attitudes towards suicide, and improve treatment of suicide attempts. From what I could find listed, they've allotted nearly 29 billion yen to efforts. Okay. I tried to look up what oh. that converts to, and I think it's about 217 million okay. U.S. Hopefully over time, more resources will become available to the Japanese so that those who are struggling can reach out and talk about their troubles. I was watching this video from five years ago, and it's on YouTube. It was made by Asian Boss. Okay. A woman reporter, Hiroko, was interviewing locals in Tokyo about their thoughts on suicide in Japan. In watching this video, it was interesting to see the views of older versus younger Japanese. Okay. Ultimately, it was sad, but it, it did give me hope that it's starting to become a topic of discussion rather than ignoring it or mm-hmm. tolerating it. There was an older man that said that a person who commits suicide is weak. While a younger man held that it takes a lot of courage to do it, but wishes that they could have helped to stop that person. Good. Um, Isolation, media, and the fear of what others would think are really big problems. Almost all knew of someone who had committed suicide and wished that that person had sought help or talked about it. Yeah. Uh, Ultimately, when asked what they would say to somebody who is considering suicide, the younger people said, eat a good meal, go visit friend or family and do something that you love. 
The suggestions were simple, but the smallest of things can help. Just get them out of that downward spiral that you get into. Yeah. I remember watching a documentary probably five or six years ago about Japan and they had a pandemic basically of loneliness. I don't know. And like they have the cafes where people go and sit with like the big stuffed animals. So they don't feel like they're eating alone. Like it seems, especially in Tokyo and maybe the other large cities, it does seem like they're very isolated as a culture. So. I didn't write this down, but there is another form of isolation typically among men where they lock themselves in their homes for like six months to like a couple years. And sometimes that doesn't end suicide, but Uh, yeah, it's a very prevalent isolation that happens. Right. But going back to Aoki Kahara, a man named Yukio Shige, he is 77 or 78. He's a former Polarsman. He's a former police officer and now head of a suicide prevention NGO. He believes that the answer is the same. It's simple. Just say hello to people. Be kind. Yeah. He wanders around Aokikahara and just says hello. And that tiny gesture of reaching out or having a simple basic conversation is enough to turn people's lives around. It's been enough for him and he has personally prevented 721 from following through with suicide. Wow. Just and that simple was, conversation. That was as of last year. So just basic kindness. But back to the video real quick um, and their thoughts on suicide. They felt that depression and mental illness in Japan just it really isn't taken seriously. It's seen as being as you being weak. For I was the most say, part, just a weakness. Yeah, depression and is not recognized by companies. Horrible. They would either pressure that worker, or you would feel pressure to quit so that they're not a burden to the company. That is a stereotype that goes along with depression and mental health that is difficult to overcome, but it is possible and it requires discourse. Here in the U.S., companies have started to recognize self-care more and offer help. I still think it's hard, though. The same companies that offer these types of self-care perks or mm-hmm. whatever, often still overwork their people and they do. have ridiculous expectations. But when applying for some, like we've applied for jobs right. <laughs> recently and when applying to some of them, like you'll see their list of all their perks and and that they're taking care of their employees. But we all know like all too often we're just being taken advantage of. And the whole reason you're going to therapy many times is because of your job. Exactly. I mean, that's been my experience. I fortunately, I have a company that pays for therapy, like through our health insurance. But I would say half of the time when I'm at the therapist, I'm talking about something work related. <sighs> Stress It takes so much of our life. You know, it does in in America and I think Japan's even even twice as much. It's so much of like how you're seen in our society is what you do for a living. I know, which I hope and I I feel like I have hope because of the younger generation, because they are totally like bucking that trend. They're like, no, yeah, it doesn't matter what I do. It's who I am. And like these Mm -hmm. things are more important than a job or a career. So I hope maybe that's happening in Japan, too. I think it's slower there. But I do see some change just in the videos that I was watching. Yeah. You know, I quit my job four years ago or five years. Where are we? 2023. My gosh, I am jumping ahead. I quit my job in 2021. <laughs> my brain is it just like, feels like it's been five I'm years. Like, I pushed that so far into my memory. Okay. But I quit a job that I was with for five years because I was so completely overworked. It was such a hard decision for me, but I watched myself slowly become a shadow of a person. 
when I started working for this company, it felt like a great opportunity and it was very family oriented. But I was a mother to a young child. She was one at the time when I started. Yeah. I think she was maybe about to turn two. I worked from home and it gave me the flexibility that I needed. But quickly over time and after an ownership change, I took on so much that I was working 80 hours a week on average to do that nearly four of the five years. You know, I spoke up about it. I spoke up to him. Um, I was but I was told like. This is what I don't like. I was told it was family and yada, yada. And I was promised That's bonuses. That's what they always say. Be wary of any company that says you're family. Oh, I don't trust it. To it me means now, they're going to overwork you and take advantage of you. It's a trigger. If I see anything yes. along the same lines and any kind of description, I'm like, nope, nope, nope. Or the other one is we work hard so we can play harder. No. Don't trust that shit. No, because how can... <laughs> For me, one of the biggest things with him is like he kept changing the rules like I needed help and I because w- I was doing everything alone. Yeah. Uh, but just as soon as he, and this is where he always he always failed to see this. And I tried. But as soon as he'd get help, the time it took for me to train and still be the point person for everything, it just added to my work. And as soon as like I saw this horizon where maybe things would start to flow and like my hours would decrease, he would add another metro location that we would have to take on. And like my hours would just shoot back up. He kept thinking he was helping me with different things, but in the end it would just like double my work because he was location hungry. Like yeah, every time I felt more like money. we were settling for a second, it was like, oh, well, here's it's another never location. enough sometimes for these business owners and no. they just don't get it. Yeah. You know, after four years of helping him grow his business, he took away my bonus structure to uh, then expand his business. That that was kind of the nail in the coffin for me. Like, I am not family or whatever you want to call me, dude, because you want to do that to a family member. And he's like, well, you'll still make more. And I'm like, no, honestly, that's why I held on all these years is I saw the potential in finally having what I needed from you. And then you took it away. And at that point, I was a shell of a person. I was sick. I was depressed and I was mad. I felt like I gave away my daughter's childhood to someone who just doesn't care. He gave back the bare minimum to quote, you know, like try and keep me happy. But he was so blinded to how badly he was taking care of people. I didn't leave quietly at first. I, I wrote this really long letter. You know, I spoke my mind. I'm a human being and I matter and I had to take my life back. He ended up not really responding to anything that I had laid out. Not surprising. Um, he just accepted my resignation kind of emotionless. And this is somebody who was family. You know, he even came to my daughter's birthday parties and like it just it just really sucked. In the end, he gave it's me a thousand dollars to help with the computer which to him he probably felt was a big deal and he didn't need to do that because I was quitting. Uh, But you can't get a decent laptop for that. No. And I burnt out two of my own computers working Working for for the job. So that's money out of my pocket. So even though I needed the thousand, it just kind of felt like a slap in the face at the end of everything. Because I left. I had no plan. I was miserable. I had no other job. I had no savings. I was an heaps of debt you know I still am because he never came close to paying me enough for what I did and the inflation of freaking living here yeah insane I struggled you know I'm still struggling but leaving that job was the best decision I ever made mentally yeah even now even now spiritually (laughs) exactly 
I don't harbor any like hard feelings for him or toward right. him. Yeah, I wish him well. A lot of what happened was unfortunate, but you know who he was as a person when we did have the time to like sit down and and talk and it wasn't about work. I liked him. He wasn't a bad person. He's young and he was ambitious and he's building his empire. Right. I did truly like him and I cared for him. I still do. I've thought about reaching out to him, but now there's just too much time that's passed. But in in the end, he taught me that I know what I don't want to do anymore. Right. And if I ever have people that work for me, how I would treat them. Yeah. You learn so much from the worst bosses that you have. Yeah. Leaving led me to self-discovery and truly was the catalyst to so many other changes. I'm still in a rough place in a lot of areas, but I'm slowly becoming who I was meant to be. And I know that I will get to a place I never imagined for myself in a couple of years, you know, and it's this like knowing you and I both have it. Look at us. We're paving our own way right now. Yes, we are. And I'm so happy. We're betting on ourselves. Had I stayed in that job or in that situation and I allowed myself to be and I honestly think that I possibly could have died. Stress alone is hard on your body. The road I was going down. Nobody is meant to work 80 hours like no. on a computer. Like that's just not good for us standing or not. Like I, there, and, it was not okay. And I do believe the statistics, you know, going back to the, the suicide rate in Japan and all of that. And you're probably about to say this, but the yeah. statistics is that they work even more than Americans, right? Oh, yeah. They they work really, really hard. And, and, that, their and whole, that's hard. Yeah. Why, I mean, they ha- they're the place that they have the little like warm beds or whatever, the pod beds where they just go sleep Ugh. for like well, a few hours to go back to the office. Well, when I was watching that video, almost all of them said, oh, yeah, I'm, I work overtime every day, you know. It's, and it's so sad. Like they are just that's so used much. Mm-hmm. by the companies. And, and then if they get laid off, they feel like their whole identity is gone. Well, and if you're feeling alone, you know, and everything and having other struggles and you're not allowed to talk about it, you can see just very quickly like even in a day sink into such a dark place that you just feel like a burden and the only way to alleviate everyone around you is just to take your life be gone that's that really sucks you know I've never allowed myself to sink into like a really dark place or have those types of thoughts I know what real depression looks like I have family members me too people that are close to me that I know people have you know attempted to take their lives and I think for me, it my daughter obviously is like a big deal. Like right. I could never leave her behind. Leave her behind. She needs me, you know. But any moment I get overwhelmed, what I do is I really do just take a moment and I do this thing now where I imagine myself as like a pinpoint on like a Google Earth map and I zoom myself like all the way out. Mm-hmm. I'll zoom myself all the way out. Like I'll see my whole life, past this life. Like, I'll remember there's only one purpose, like one sole purpose to our life here on Earth, and that is our soul's purpose, right? Right. And that's to be happy. And as we've been talking about a lot, like, have love. And spread that happiness Mm -hmm. to others. If I do that, it's literally like this thing where I just sit down and I go, and I zoom all the way out. Yeah. Everything calms down and like I'm back in the moment and then it's a step by step. So just bringing all this up, if anyone's listening, I know a lot of people probably have similar experiences with work and stress and your mom or dad and you're taking care of everything and money. Money is always. Yeah. Sorry. It's not worth losing your life. No, it's not. You know, there's always going to be something that you'll overcome. You know, even if you feel like you've been struggling for years on end, if you feel 
like you've been struggling your entire life. You know, there are times where things are really good and then something comes to knock you down. Take that moment and zoom all the way out. The possibilities for life, they really are endless. And I think too often we're so zoomed in that we can't see a way out. And the purpose of life, you know, is to live and and learn from failures or whatever. Mm -hmm. And if you feel like, and I know this is really hard. It's the whole self-love, love yourself. I don't think that there's a single suicide, though, that has happened that doesn't affect everyone else, like affects those around you. Like when I was talking about that guy and I thought he had died, like that affected me. That wasn't suicide, but death just affects people. I think the ripple effect of suicide can last for years and years. And so, you know, you're important. If you're struggling, tell one person, reach out, you know, let others, even a stranger, like just give you enough strength to get to the next step. Allow people to affect you in good ways. Yes. Remember that everybody is going through their own thing. And even if like part of your depression is, uh, what's that? Like just taking on how people make you feel. Sometimes the way that they're treating you, it has nothing to do with you. We say that it a lot. Rarely you know? has anything rarely to do has with anything you. To do they're with you. in their mm-hmm. own journey, struggle, whatever. Like the young Japanese I was talking about, say, eat good food. Go walk outside. The guy from your NDE, go stare at a flower I was for a really long say, time. You know, go into nature. Yeah, for real, and and not this forest, maybe. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> no, just it's beautiful. <laughs> Life is worth living, though, and I think. Even through all the struggles that I've had personally, like if you were to look at my life and I wrote a book, you wouldn't think I'd end up where I am at now. It's so many opportunities to just be completely different. Yeah. Life's worth living though. It is. You know, hope, possibility, love. And the older you get, the more you realize that. And that's what makes me so sad when I hear about young. Yeah. Because I get it. I have been a teenager and things feel so important when you're that age, but it really doesn't mean anything to you. You know, I'm in my forties now. I look back and it's like the things I stressed about at 20 Mm -hmm. doesn't even phase me now. Like it was, it feels very trivial at this point in my life. Like ridiculous. Everybody too, that was making me feel like shit back then. Yeah. Aren't even really part of my life anymore. You know, you just have to pull through. You never know what life's going to bring, what situation you're going to be at, who you're going to meet, where you're going to be. And it's to me, it, it just sucks that someone is in such a place that they feel completely hopeless hopeless and and it's never going to shift from that moment and it will and you know what I still have times at this age where I have days where I feel like everything's going wrong and I have a moment of hopelessness and like you said you just have to all the time you have to figure out how to pull yourself out of it or maybe not maybe you just go eat a whole tub of ice cream and you watch a good movie and cry I cry watching (laughs) some sad movie or listening to a song and and those things can be cathartic as well but just Mm -hmm. know that you have a purpose and you will get better I think a a lot of the issue in talking about suicide is we do talk a lot about the death part about it you know the death of it but what we don't tell enough stories about is people surviving and getting past it and I can't say names now but I personally have two people that I love dearly and if they had succeeded they wouldn't have their families and their beautiful children and 
and all of these things now. And they didn't even see that as a possibility at that time. No. That's what I, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like they didn't see that for their future. And if they weren't here, none of that would have happened. But what turned them around was acts of kindness. Someone Always. recognizing them that they never thought would recognize them. And that person didn't know that that's what they were going through, but they were kind. And they're like, yo, let's, you know, you want to go do something? Right. I haven't seen you in forever. Or even to the strangers. We talked about yeah. this during near-death experiences. Just give someone a compliment. That could turn Seriously. their whole day around. I like your shirt. Yeah. Something really Your hair simple. looks nice. Or I know I did this yesterday and I didn't mean to, but I could tell that I affected her. I went Always. to the post office and my post office for some reason like closes for an hour in the middle of the day and you'd have to go to another one but I didn't have time and I had to ship something because I sell on Poshmark oh yeah <laughs> I don't know if anybody else does but I sold something I'm like oh I gotta go drop this off before I go here yeah. and it was a smaller box and but because they were gone like they didn't have those carts out where you can just throw all your boxes if you ship a lot of stuff so I just put it in one of those you know you pull a yeah. little thing down mm-hmm. one's for stamped and ones for parcels and the parcel one was full so I stuffed it in the stamp one and this lady came in behind me and she's just like looking at me and I'm like she's like it says stamped I'm like they're going to the same place honey like there's just two other buckets behind that or whatever like they're right next to each other so I was trying to convince her I'm like I'm sure it's fine like yeah it'll get it'll, it'll be okay but I think she was just shocked that I was talking to her at all and like giving her a moment of my time. It was very interesting to see how I took her by just surprise. To her. Just talking to her for a couple of minutes, you know, and English wasn't her first language. I could tell that. Uh, um, yeah. And so I, I think she just appreciated that I was trying to talk to just her. trying to help. And I was just being like a normal human being. And I was like, oh, well, it's closed. <laughs> I was like, but you can stick it in here. And she's like, I don't know. And uh, so we ended up outside and this other lady was talking to me because this other elderly woman she was coming to do something she's like oh I forgot the clothes and I was like I know and so all of a sudden it's just me and this little elderly woman and this other woman who is just listening but they're they both had beaming smiles right and it was just this just moment a small interaction we, and we were in a moment of you know where we should have been frustrated we drove all the way to the post office that was closed, was closed yeah so that kind of stuck with me but it's just something like that you the simple never acts. know what someone else is going through. So stay kind, say hello, listen to someone for a moment. Kindness and small acts make such a huge difference every single day. Like I feel in that they then went on to have another kind moment with someone else too. Yes, you know, like there's the about ripple effect. It, yes, because it turns their day around and then they want to be nice to someone else. And Or just even driving away, instead of being in their head, they look up and they're looking at the trees or something right. while they're driving instead. And they're enjoying life a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. a little more. So... If you need to talk to someone right now, though, resources are always available to you. Sure, it might be through government or some nonprofit you don't feel comfortable with. But at the other end of the line is another person, like another human being. So if anything, they'll listen to you and they'll say a kind word to you. And sometimes, like we said, that's all that's needed. So even though you're like, oh, I don't want to call this or that, do it. there's a person there. I want to talk about this because okay. I actually used to volunteer oh. for the crisis text line. Look at you. And yeah. so I will plug them. Um, they are there specifically for this. And you, to become a crisis counselor, you go through three months of training. Yeah. This is all done for free. You're not paid to do this. Like 
these are people who care so much about others that they that wanted to be involved want in to. some way. Yeah. And they just text with those because texting is sometimes less intimidating oh, than yeah. calling and talking to someone. Right. And it's easier to like if they're I think about because I talk to a lot of teenagers, et cetera, it's easy for them to sit there and text maybe even while they're sitting there with their parents or something like yeah, that. So and, this and is in an actual moment of crisis. Exactly. Yeah. It's a it's a really good resource. And you just text 741-741 is okay. the crisis text line. And I can tell you. I had to stop doing it because yeah. I took on so much of the the trauma that was coming yeah. to me. But it was see that. it made me feel so good when I was able to get a person to a more positive headspace by the end of it. Yeah. And then yeah. they're also there if someone is, you know, intent on taking their lives, that person can get, you know, emergency services over or yeah. Or any of that. So use the resources if you need them. Sometimes it's easier to talk to a stranger about what's going on. Yep, I would say so. I feel like if if I really wanted to talk about something objectively, like I would need to talk to a stranger about it. Because friends and family... Well, they love you and they're going to say, you're awesome. Sometimes, it's okay. Sometimes like, they're going to, they're just going to think it's a moment with you, right? Yeah. Like it's a moment that'll pass. And sometimes it's more serious than that. They and don't so realize. That's why yeah. we don't reach out to family or friends, but tell somebody if you're having thoughts if, and if you're not getting what you need from the person you told, tell someone else. Like there are, just because yeah. someone's not well enough equipped to help you when you say that does not mean that was your sign or that does not mean no that they're a bad person, this is a hard thing to deal with all the way around. Like whether you're in this space or they're the one trying to help you, they didn't do a good job helping you. You need help from someone else. Go to a different place. Go somewhere else. Go go talk to somebody else. Talk to 10 people. Just whatever you have to do. To get you out of that moment. To get you in a good headspace. Yeah. So if you do need help now, though, here in America, other than what Kendra mentioned, you can call 988 again or 1-800-273-8255 or your local crisis hotline. Um, If you're in another country, please Google your local numbers. Make yourself feel better. You're worth it. Make a friend or stranger feel better. Listen, be kind, help your fellow human being. We want you all. Let's just stay here. Yes. Yes. All right. Sorry, folks. This was meant to be a story about ghosts and spooky shit. But I don't think but it deals with some heavy. Yeah, we can't touch the subject of suicide without talking about it, yeah. especially when just discussing another culture that's not my own. Right. Uh, it's important, you know, and with my experience and family and friends, it's just it's it so touches un- all of us. It's so important. And really, we have to get through this life together. So, well, thank you all. I am you and you are me. Yes. <laughs> OK, thank you. Let's go ahead and talk about our socials and yeah, that's exciting. It is growing. So yes, it's Uh, been making me happy. (laughs) Yes. We're getting a little following going and uh, we want you to send in stories or topics or, or just comments, anything, please send it to us. We are on, we're getting ready to record our first episode for listener stories or our lab lab reports. So if you have any stories whatsoever, please send them to lucidlabpodcast at gmail.com. And then you can also mail. Yes. To our P.O. Box. P.O. Box 251 East Lake, Colorado 80614. And then go follow us on all of the socials. We are on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube, all under Lucid Lab Podcast, all one word. Yep, yep, yep. Is there anything else? I don't know. Patreon. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> know. 
always forget that. We have a Patreon. I, I'm not people probably like you don't forget that. It's because it's not there's nothing really happening with it yet. So we, I forget. Yeah, so. not yet. But we are going to add levels in there and we are going to do some fun things. Yes. For those of you on Patreon, yep. uh, we'll have more details soon. But you can visit that. It's through our link tree on Instagram. Thank you guys <laughs> Thank so much you. for listening. We love you. And yeah, love you. stay lucid. Stay lucid. Bye. Bye. Bye bye.